was thinking of what you said about receiving the word. That's what this passage is all about. It's about receiving the word. Um, go to the next slide. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 13. Before I read that <clears throat> this passage, I want to read something out of Isaiah. Isaiah 55. <clears throat> it says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering that earth, the earth, and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, which is our topic, <clears throat> so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. I thought that was a great passage as a backdrop to this, um, this passage that we're looking at today. One of the things I was noticing, <clears throat> this is the parable of the sower and the seed. It really isn't. It's a parable about the soil. Um, but if you look in your Bible, in Matthew chapter 13, it says the parable <coughs> of the sower. The sower is in this passage. Um, how will they hear without someone preaching, right? So the sower is essential, is necessary. Um, and the seed is necessary, the word of God, you know. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But this passage, this parable that Jesus tells, is about reception. How do you respond to the word of God? How do you respond to the one sowing? How do you respond to the one who is the king of this kingdom that is being preached? Well, we are in a time right now so thankful to see snow gone. Uh, last week, I actually got to plant some seeds, and they are about that high right now in some of my plants. And so it's exciting, and the passage we have to do has a lot about planting. And with the hope, it would be horrible to plant and not see something happen, right? I mean, that's just really a bummer. And what keeps you going is that it always happens. And what's exciting about the Word of God is that this, there's nothing wrong with a seed. It'll grow anywhere. You put the right conditions there and the right watering and all that stuff. And in that little seed uh, is a miracle that it grows. With all your technology, all you techie people, uh, you are dependent upon a seed or you would die. I would die. 
And uh, so this is not a just a silly rural story. It is very essential, very true, and it is a parable. So let's look at Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read the whole thing. <clears throat> not the whole thing, not all of 13, but just first 23 verses. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And a familiar statement, which is going to be in this chapter several times. He who has ears to hear, or he who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused, they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But, blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Well, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who receives the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once received it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but 
something else comes. The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word, understands it, and he produces a crop. Yield a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Father, take your word and uh, do what you're so good at doing. Lord, cause it to accomplish what you want in our hearts today. I trust, Lord, that uh, we would be like those in Isaiah who called upon the Lord while you are near and not push you off. Father, thank you for the invitation. Thank you for your patience. But Lord, your patience does have a limit. We are responsible for what we hear. So I pray that we would uh, be listening today in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let's take a little bit of time to think about the context and the of where, where this parable is coming. It says the same day. So I, what I did is I took and um, tried to break this down, and I broke it down into three sections. The parable stated the message from 1 through 9. The parable questioned, or the method, we'll look at verses 10 through 17. And then the parable explained the meaning of it, verses 18 through 23. So as we think of the setting, the same day, Notice it says the same day. Same day as what? Well, we look back and we find that um, there's been some crazy things going on. Um, Jesus has been accused of a lot of things. Uh, They were even attributing the healings that he was doing to being from Satan. And uh, so we just find a lot of things and them asking for a sign and more and more stuff, you know, to prove who Jesus was. Rather, they weren't asking to prove. They were looking for reasons to excuse why they didn't want to listen to him. So there's a growing distance and animosity between the religious leaders of Jesus' day and everything that Jesus had been saying and doing. This king and his kingdom was indeed encountering what he's been saying all along, opposition um, and vilification upon nearly every bend in the road now. It has now escalated from some startling questions like, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And has now come to accusations like, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Well, the growing chasm doesn't get any excuses from Jesus, but rather an increasing indictment of responsibility for their rejection of the truth and the evidence that he gives them so clearly. This reprimand wasn't just to the religious rulers, but to towns as well who were listening and refusing to come. He compared them to the Jewish cities, um, these Jewish cities to the wicked and offensive heathen cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, He said that the weight of compelling evidence in the signs and teaching he has been given would have had a greater effect on those places than it was being displayed in the people of his day. So are they listening? Are you listening? What's going on here? And this is the context in which this parable comes up. 
he said that the people of Nineveh would rise up at the judgment day against the people that were hearing him and dismissing him. The bottom line was that they were rejecting the messenger as well as his message. It's easy for us to today to hide behind the excuse of not understanding or liking the message. But the real issue is not wanting the one who is behind the truth being presented. Jesus told these guys, he said, there's one greater than the temple here, there's one greater than Jonah here, there's one greater than Solomon here. You come and you want to listen to the word, but it's about me. So it's in this context that Jesus gives this parable of the sower and the seed. And we see the faithfulness of the sower. In this parable, the sower is there a whole way through. The integrity of the seed is here. But the differing degree of response of the soil is what he is highlighting. And again, Jesus shouts that familiar cry. He who has ears, let him hear. So the setting, the same day, it's in this context, okay? We, we've just been, he's been accused of being, doing these things by Beelzebub. Um, he has been asked for more signs. He just said, I won't give you any more sign except the sign of Jonah, which had to do with his, with, with his uh, death and his resurrection. And so it's not getting friendly here. It's getting, it's getting harsher. And so it's, in that context, that same day. Now let's look at the large crowd, because it says a large crowd. Were these all friendly people? Why did he get in the boat? Was it for his own safety? Was it for communication? I mean, I've heard a lot of people say, well, there's a good communication, com- communicating um, way of, you know, the, the water carries, and maybe that's true too. But maybe there was animosity here. Maybe he needed to get back just a little bit further. Well, I was thinking of this crowd a little bit. We live in a nation that has written into its constitution, we the people. We hold as a nearly sacred right that as a democratic government, the will of the people should prevail. And so the biggest crowd wins. Politicians love to win the crowd, to work the crowd, to have the adulation of the crowd but they also fear the crowd. And so we see a large crowd here. The religious leaders of Jesus' day loved the praises and attention of the crowd. They loved the power they held over the crowd, but they were also fearful of the crowd. And when Jesus asked them where John's baptism baptism came from, they were struck. They were stuck because if they said it was from God, then Jesus would ask them, why didn't you believe John? But they said it was from the earth. They were afraid of the people because the people knew it was from God. And so you see this crowd, this crowd. Jesus, on the other hand, was not under the sway or need of men's approval rating. He is not ignorant of men's motives and reasons for following him, nor is he unaware of the fickleness of the crowd. And when the disciples went looking for him one early morning, they were elated with the crowd and said, everyone's looking for you. And his response was a little disappointing to them, or at least to have them scratching their head in confusion, because he said, let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, 
so I can preach there also. Well, Jesus was not afraid of the crowds, nor was he annoyed with them when he was exhausted for taking and caring for them. He'd fed 5,000 and 4,000 when his disciples had encouraged him to send them away. Yet later he challenged the very ones that he had fed with, you are seeking me because of the bread, and that's the only reason you're seeking me. Crowds, crowds, there's a crowd here. What an opportunity if you're a politician. Hey, we got a crowd. Let's, let's give it all we got. Let's give it our best shot. Put our best foot forward. Tell them what they want to hear. Crowds. There was a crowd that shouted Hosanna. A couple days later, they were shouting crucify. Well, the crowd did not control Jesus like it might one of us. And Jesus knew the motives of those who were there to see him. He knew the effect his words would have upon them. He wasn't going to sugarcoat his message or his demands. All that he said would be true and for their good. But most would find him a stumbling block to their little personal kingdoms that they were building. And though he would speak to them, all, not all, would be hearing the same thing. So he gets into a boat. Let's look at the story a little bit. There are similarities and there are contrasts in this story. Uh, Notice there are similarities in the same sower. He sows the seed. There is a sower in every one of the the, uh, responses to to the soil here. You have the same sower, you have the same seed, you have the same hearing, you have the same purpose. The purpose of the planting the seed was that it grew, that it would bear fruit. There's contrast, there's a different kind of soil. There's a different comprehension. There are different hindrances when you have a bird, when you have rocky soil, when you have thistles, thorns. And you have a different result on every one. But let's look at the... uh, Let's look at like the question that is asked. Why a parable? Notice the disciples come to him, and I don't think it was a uh, it was a statement of, uh, of just real hey you know that's different. Uh, no, it was a statement of disapproval. Uh, maybe your wife has told you, "Why are you wearing those pants?" You know, that that's not a question. That's a statement, isn't it? It's like that's dumb. And I think that's what the disciples were saying here. Of all the times to to present this zinger of a message, you come up with this thing. It's so rural. It's so... What in the world will you mean? You had them all here, and you come up with this message. And so there was disapproval, I think, in that question. Why? Parable. Was it a question of comprehension? Hebrews says that uh, in many times, in different ways, God has spoken throughout history. Is this a different way? Why did he choose this way? Why is this style of teaching? Why this style of teaching? Why not tell it like it is? Well, he has been telling it like it is. Hasn't he? Why an allegory? Why a metaphor? Why a story? 
Is he trying to confuse people? Is he trying to obscure things? I don't think so. Has the word that became flesh so that we could touch and see and hear? Has that word that become flesh now opted for ambiguity versus clarity? I don't think so. Notice some other passages that talk about a parable. Proverbs 1, 5 through 6 says, Let the wise listen and add to their learning. The intent of listening is to add. Let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. I think we know that. I think we know there are different ways of communicating. And sometimes the things that are really deep and profound aren't just surface things, are they? So I don't think Jesus was trying to make things not understandable. Why a parable? Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouths in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. And so there is a profoundness here. It's not just a shallow little thing about a seed. There's something deep going on. I like what Vine's Dictionary says. Part of the meaning for a parable is it's the first couple letters is para, which has to do with alongside, like parallel or paraclete spirit that was given to us to come alongside of us. It's a spirit, it's a story narrative from natural life giving us a spiritual lesson or truth. I like the picture of the train tracks. Notice they're parallel. They're going the same direction. And when you get to the end, it looks like it's the same thing, doesn't it? And so the story the Lord gives here has a reason for it. A parable is often needed when straight talk is rejected. You remember the story about Nathan and that Nathan gave to King David? Did David know the straight scoop? You better believe he knew the straight scoop. But he needed a parable. He needed a story. He needed something that came alongside of him and got him. And it did. Parables are often an indictment on our dullness, not our brilliance. The other thing I thought about a parable is it's a means of getting pearls to saints without pigs trampling on them. Remember we talked about that earlier? Jesus says, you know, don't cast your pearls before swine or they will trample on them. The dogs, you know. And I think this is what Jesus is doing. He's giving these guys, there is profoundness in this parable. But some people are going to go, what a dumb thing, right? And some are going to go, explain that to me. And that's exactly what happened with the disciples. So let's look at why a parable from Jesus' explanation. So he says these words, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Why a parable? One of the first things I see here is Jesus recognizes his audience and he recognizes the message. 
And notice there's two things. There's sovereignty and there's responsibility. They're both here. Because he says, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Who do you tell your secrets to? Anybody that just walks down the street? You tell it to somebody that's going to keep a secret, someone who's going to do not be stupid with it, right? The secrets of the kingdom are given to you, but not going to tell them. It's not going to be revealed to them. I'm going to say it, but they're not going to get it. Remember earlier he says these things have been revealed to children. He thanked his father and he said, I thank you, Father, that you've revealed these things to children and you've hidden them from the wise and learned. But then there is responsibility also involved. Because then it says, whoever has will be given more, and he who has an abundance, or and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. So there's there's receptivity, isn't there? And there's people who are unreceptive. Who has, he'll be given more. Responsibility. Ownership and Trust is given to that person who is responsible. He has, he's going to be given more. That's the one who who listens. But there's the other guy who doesn't listen. And it says he doesn't have. Well, even that's going to be taken from him. Now, wait a minute. He, He doesn't have? How can something be taken from someone who doesn't have? No, the implication is you don't have much, but you have something. And I think everybody has something to respond to, to be receptive to. We struggle with the fairness idea, and I think he brings it out in Luke nineteen twenty five, where where the remember there was one guy who was responsible, a good steward, and the master went away, gave one ten, one five, and one one, and comes back. The guy who had ten got ten more. The guy who had five got five more. The guy who had one said, "Hey, I don't I don't want to get in on this. I'm just going to hide it." And when he comes back, he says, "What'd you do with it? I didn't do anything with it." I know you're a greedy man, you know, you don't, you know, you get, you sow where, I mean, you try to reap what you didn't sow and stuff like that. And he says, take that from that guy and give it to the guy who has 10. And they respond, but he already has a lot. You struggle with that? No, that was the right thing to do. You take it from the guy who has very little. And you give it to the guy who is very faithful with what he's got. And that's the idea here, responsibility. And so you see the two things, sovereignty, God gives. God knows his audience. God knows who to give things to. He he gives it to everybody, but certain people are responsible and not. So now Jesus goes to another angle on why this parable was given was that he realized that there was rejection and there are consequences to rejection. Let's look at that. Verses 13 to 15. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is written the prophecy of Isaiah. is fulfilled. 
the prophecy of Isaiah, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. So look at the different conditions of the soil here. It is rejecting, 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 rejecting. There's a present condition. Though seeing, they don't see. Though hearing, they don't hear. That's the present condition. The faculties are there, but the comprehension, the the interest is not there. There's a permanent condition. You will be ever hearing, but never seeing. There's a developed condition. This people eyes, their ears have become callous. How do you get calluses? It takes time. Numbing. Maybe you've had to, to get up at a certain time sometime when you've set the alarm. I've done this. You know, I, I've set an alarm, and after a while, I don't even hear it anymore. Are you that way? There's a callousness, a callousness. And then there's a preferred condition. They have closed their eyes. But there's an alternate condition. And I love this. Because it says, otherwise. This is the condition that God wanted. This is the response that God wa- Christ wanted. Otherwise, God's option and preference was this. They would see. They would hear. They would understand. They would turn. These are all progressions. And I would heal them. But you've got to realize your audience. Jesus realizes there are people here who aren't doing this. Otherwise, I would. But then there's a third category of rejoicing with the reception and revelation. Notice verse 16. But blessed are your eyes because they see. Do you think Jesus was excited? (laughs) Do you think he was going, they got it! I think so. Blessed. Blessed are your eyes because they see. Blessed are your ears because they hear. In Matthew 6, he's talked about the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body is full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, that's scary. But you're seeing. You're seeing. And with Simon, he said, blessed are you, Simon. This was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. But the blessing is so important. Do you get excited? I've been reading the Word of God for years now, but this past week I went through the life of Joseph, and I saw stuff in there I'd never seen. I mean, it brought tears to my eyes. Blessed! Blessed are you when you see. I wonder if the lame man that uh, was at the temple when Peter and John came, Oh, thank you. No, he was walking and leaping and praising God. He was recognizing the blessedness of God opening my eyes, of God giving me healing and freedom. The kingdom priv- there are kingdom privileges, but they should be humbling because it says here many prophets desired to see what you see, but didn't see it. Well, let's go on now to the explanation of the parable. 
seeds on the path. It says that in every one of these, there was hearing. There was hearing. There was hearing. They all heard. They heard the message about the kingdom, the secrets of the kingdom. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. But it says something interesting. It says the one that fell on the path. Anyone hears who hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it. I think that's a key passage, a key word, understand. Understanding seems to be the intended purpose of both hearing and seeing, isn't it? Yet in verse 13, 14, and 15, 15, it says, they do not hear or understand. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they would hear with their ears, understand with their heart. Lack of understanding is evident by careless inattention and unimportance, which is taken advantage of by another. Because at that point, something happens. You see what happens? When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. The evil one comes. You can be sure his intent is as wicked as his description. The evil one. Those under his power are called evil spirits. When he got through with the generations up to Noah, it says that the thoughts and intents of their heart was only evil continually. He told them, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? And this guy is the personation of evil. And one of the things he hates the most is the word of God. And it's because he is the father of lies. He's a deceiver. And when the truth of the word of God comes in, because we are born again by the word of truth, and the truth exposes the darkness and the lies. It blows his cover. And so he comes and he snatches it. We have the saying, out of mind, I mean, out of sight, out of mind, right? The seed on the rocky places. I like this guy. He reminds me of the little little fable, Jack be nimble, Jack be quick. Well, this is what this guy is like. He's quick on doing a lot of things. Verses 20 through 21. The one who received the seed that fell on the rocky places, the man who hears the word of God, and at once receives it with joy. But there's a problem. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, remember this is the one that was the sun beating down on it. Sun makes things grow, but sun can kill things too. If you don't have a root that goes down into the moisture below. Two things a believer needs to know about the word of God. It brings great joy, but also brings suffering with it. Notice it says, when suffering came, because of the word. Peter says, don't be surprised at the painful trial. You're suffering as though something strange is happening. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Evidence for the reality of our faith is that we participate. We do not capitulate. In the news this week, there's this na- lady named Pavi Rasanen from Finland. 
uh, look it up when you get to look on the news or something. She is uh, going through some real persecution because of the word of God. And she says, I will not renounce my faith. She made a statement. And man, I tell you, she is she could be put to jail for a couple of years because of her faith in Christ, because of her faith in the word of God. And so don't be surprised when this happens. Roots that go beneath the surface, like the tree planted by streams of water, will sustain under extreme heat. Seed among the thorns. Worries and wealth come. Notice all these things that come. The enemy comes. Suffering comes. Worries and wealth come. The assumption that that generates worry is accompanied by another assumption that wealth can solve it. False, very tricky, deceitful. Notice it says, in the the cares of this life. This life. I like what Paul says, if in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most miserable. Instead, let us just go out, eat, drink, and be stupid, right? No. We follow the one who is the life, the one who gives eternal life, one who promises an abundant life, something that money cannot buy. Well, it's choked. It's suffocated. It's crowded out. No time for it. Judas was not the last who traded down. Some have sat in these very pews, are no longer here. I have several great friends president of Multnomah, student body. This killed him. He's a dead man. Because it was a gradual fade. Well, let's look at the last one. The seed on good soil. There's not a whole lot said about this. All we know is that the harvest comes. The harvest comes. If you'll be faithful to the end, There is a harvest. The previous three hearers had one thing in common. There was something about the word they refused to grasp and understand. In the end, they never persevered to see the harvest. Jesus said this to the one who came to tempt him. Man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And when Jesus saw many leaving, the crowd was leaving, he asked the twelve, do you want to leave too? And they said these very profound words, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So, where are you at? Why did he give this parable? Why such a, one of the things that got me was, why such a generous sowing of seed in this parable? I mean, I don't go out, when I'm planting my garden, I don't go out on the pathway and plant seeds. And when I see rocky soil, I don't plant my seeds there. And I kind of wonder, was this just a guy who was careless? I don't think Jesus is careless. But I think it's a generosity of sowing. Because he sees something about the soil that you and I don't see. Was he wasteful or careless? This parable highlights the reality of men's hearts' condition. But we are pretty limited at knowing what that outward appearance 
is like on the inside. We we can see our own condition by our own response to the Word of God. And we can trace others by their response to the Word of God. What we see as a trampled path or rocky ground may well be a ready ground. And so Jesus broadcasts it. And we should be broadcasting it. How many of you were candidates for the gospel, for salvation? That sure didn't look like it. Sometimes we say things that are so stupid. Oh, he'd be a great Christian. How do you know? Oh, he'd never be a Christian. How do you know? Three people stand out to me like trampled ground or rocky ground. There was an unclean woman in a crowd. Remember the crowd? I don't think anybody else in that crowd got it, but this lady did. She reached out and touched him. And Jesus stopped the crowd and said, who touched me? There was a blind man. The crowd said, shut up. You're not a candidate. And Jesus stopped the crowd and said, hey, bring him here. The last one was hanging on a cross next to him. The crowd sentence done. This life is gone. He knows it. And he doesn't even think he's a candidate for salvation. All he says is, wow, who is this guy that says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I can't forgive anybody. And so he says, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today, you'll be with me. They got it. Do we get it? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for your thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for your son, the king. Oh Father, help us to listen. Help us to persevere. Help us to hang in there. Help us to understand. Help us to respond so that this would be true of us. We would turn and you would heal us. We thank you for your word. Make it grow today. It can break rocks. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. If there's something about it that you insist upon, then that's our response. So help us to respond today rightly. In Christ's name, amen. Well, will you stand with us and sing praises to God?